You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain. Each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective. Listen in and join the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth, find your authentic self, and live your best life. Hi, I'm Joanne Tierney Daniels, a health mindset and wellness coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. Today, I'll be talking about trauma, survival, and strength. Often when we're beaten down by life, we become people we don't recognize. What happens to the psyche when someone endures physical violence, when they are beaten physically by someone they love and trust? My guest today, Arshika Julia, can answer that question. Arshika is a domestic violence survivor. When we're on the outside looking in, it seems unimaginable that victims would willingly stay with their abusers. But extricating oneself from a domestic violence relationship isn't as simple as it sounds. There are practical and psychological burdens that prevent victims from leaving. I'm certainly not an expert in this field. It's a complex and controversial topic. So I'm going to hold my commentary and invite Orchika to the conversation. She understands the magnitude of violence, distorted thoughts, and damaged self-worth on one's spirit and soul much more profoundly than I do. So please join me in welcoming Arshika to the conversation. Hi, Arshika. Hi, Joanne. I am absolutely thrilled, blessed, and honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And I'm so glad you you agreed to come back and do a full-length episode. We didn't get enough of you. So Thanks. I'm going to launch right in. This is such a an important topic and, and one that I love to address. I don't love that it's an issue and that we have to, but I think what you do is such is such a blessing to people who really are struggling with this, with abuse. So please tell the listeners more about you, your history, and how you found yourself in an abusive relationship. Well, I grew up in an upper middle class home with parents who loved us, and we just had your typical American dream childhood, basically. My parents are Hungarian refugees, as is my brother and sister, and I was born here in the States, and so everything was pretty wonderful really growing up. And somewhere along the way, my self-esteem slipped and I ended up as an adult in an abusive situation, an abusive marriage. And it was all stemmed from the lack of self-esteem, honestly. So, you know, we said it's a sense, it's, it's a sensitive and complicated subject, but it's really primarily about control. I mean, not only is the violence physically detrimental, but it also impacts victims emotionally and cognitively as well. I mean, during interviews, we've heard it countless times. The victim says, I deserved it, which of course isn't true. From your perspective and experience, how does physical violence distort a victim's mindset? Well, there is, again, we start with that low self-esteem. So that's why there's that thought process that they deserve it because they already don't think that they deserve love as it should be love of self love from others you know so there's already that distorted mindset that distorted view and so when you have that low self esteem you think what's coming to you is deserved so like in my case i was a single mom with two young girls and divorced and i just thought well i guess this is it you know like i don't really deserve anything more than this because who leaves a husband who makes good money 
And when you have two kids, you know, that was, that's where my slip was in, in my self-assessment, right? Yeah, yeah, that's tough. So not only that, but they victims also feel shame, confusion, and embarrassment. And that sense of self-worth is diminished. It, It takes unbelievable resiliency to overcome those emotional deficits. How were you impacted emotionally? And how were you able to pull yourself out of it? Well, and that's the thing. So abuse is so different from situation to situation. And Mine started as emotional, mental manipulation, that kind of abuse. And once the physical started, I just said, I'm out. Like I was, I was not going to stay. And so it was a really hard road to get out of that because the emotional and mental abuse is these tiny little needle point movements of, of a lot, allowing the other person and just bear with me for this, allowing the other person to diminish your value. And I'm saying allowing the other person because I put myself in that situation. You know, I didn't know that he was going to be abusive. Like I didn't, you know, go, okay, let's get married so you can beat me or rape me or whatever. You know, that's not, that's not your intention when you marry somebody, right? And so to get out of that and find my self-worth and my self-value was a really long up, uphill, up mountain process for me, for sure. So most victims, of course, we know of domestic violence are women and their nurture is at heart, which often complicates matters. Women get the false impression that they can fix someone or that they're the ones that this person is going to change for. Is that something you experienced and how common do you find that to be? Yeah, 100% experienced that because I saw how he was with his mother and how he was with the mother of his first child. And like, I totally saw it. I just thought, well, if I love him enough, if I love him the right way, then he'll be able to love back. His problem is, is that nobody loved him unconditionally. So I was going to be the superhero. I was going to be, you know, the the one coming in with a cape on her, on her shoulders and saving him from himself. And, you know, people are either good or they're not at the end of the day, right? And it's not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility to save somebody else and to love them enough. If if it's not in them to make the right choices, then you single-handedly will not do that for them because they have to want to do that for themselves. And there was a second part of that question. Will you repeat that, please? So I I think that that was it. I said that women get the false impression that they... they that they can't overcome that or that they have to stay with someone in that relationship. I think that, I think that almost everyone, and I say almost because obviously they're sociopaths, but I think that almost, I agree with you wholeheartedly, almost everyone is capable of change, but we can't change anyone else. I mean, that's such a, it's just as much as we try to, and as much as we want to. And I think women really need to, to take hold of that and embrace that concept because, and it's not just for abusers, it's really across the board. Sure. You know, we can't change anybody. I want to talk about fear too. I mean, obviously the threat of bodily harm promotes fear, but the thought of leaving often promotes fear too. I mean, leaving an abuser can be dangerous in some circumstances. Absolutely. And there's also maybe practical implications for staying. You had mentioned financial constraints or considerations even relating to your children. Were those factors prominent in your circumstances? They were. So the physical abuse started probably three years, about three and a half years into our relationship, somewhere in there. And I 
knew it wasn't healthy because I knew that I was getting emotionally manipulated and I didn't know how to undo that because there was that fear of like, now I'm going to be a single mom again. How am I going to afford this? And can't give my kids everything. So it was like easier to stay in the muck because at least I knew there was like potential, the potential of two, two incomes to potentially give my kids the American dream life, as opposed to here I go again, being a single mom. So there was a lot of weight on my shoulders with that, as far as the financial aspect of, of wanting to leave and then, then finally getting to leave. I think it's too, it's oftentimes the devil we know. You know, we just, even though it's, it's dysfunctional and abusive and causes us pain, it's, we don't know what's on the other side of that unless we really take a leap of faith. And it's much more difficult. That's easy to say, but for a domestic violence victims, it's not simply a leap of faith. It's a much bigger burden to tackle. Another tactic employed by abusers is isolation. They isolate and manipulate their partners. I mean, victims often feel trapped alone and really bound to their abuser when they feel like they have no other option. I mean, what would you say to those victims? Uh, You have other options. I know how you feel because my situation was one in which he would follow me to where, you know, if I said I was going to a friend's house, he would make sure that I would be there or he would try to look through my phone or, you know, any typical tactics like that. But I would, I would highly encourage you to recognize that they're just manipulative tactics and you can get out safely. It is, it is possible. You just have to be smart about your strategy of getting out. And, and that really leads into my next question. Obviously, we don't know the specifics of anyone's individual circumstances. And it's important to note, I think that we're not trauma experts or psychologists or law enforcement. So I recommend anyone who is in an abusive relationship to seek professional help. But that being said, I think the best, the best ideology is to develop an exit plan, however that looks to you. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And did you absolutely have a, did you have a plan in place? And oh. I absolutely had a plan in place. So the exit plan is critical for your safety, for your children's safety, mentally, physically, emotionally, right? So have an exit plan. I know that there's a lot of emotions about those who protect and serve our police officers in today's society, but they are there to protect and serve. And unfortunately, currently, we only hear about the bad officers versus all the other good apples in that basket. So my exit strategy included going to the sheriff's department and saying, listen, this is what happened to me. I'm going to leave. What do I need to do in order to make that happen? Like what, you know, legally, what do I need to do so that I'm not accused of kidnapping so that my children won't get taken away? And I I went through the plan with the sheriff, with one of the sheriff's deputies, right? And I was like, I'm going here. This is my address. I'm leaving at this time. This is like, I had a plan. I had a plan that I shared with them. And they were like, just get to safety. And then when you get to safety, write a statement. So utilize the law enforcement because they are there to protect and serve and have a plan and have money set aside. Now, if you're getting the living tar beaten out of you every day, don't have a plan, just leave. Like if you're genuinely in in danger every single day, just leave there's and go to your police officers. Like go, go to a church. I'm totally serious. Like go, go to the school in your backyard. 
and go talk to the principal as you're dropping off your children. Whatever the case is, ask for that outside help because doing it alone will get you back into the abusive situation. So I love that response. And I'm actually going to add to it. I don't know if the listeners know, but I worked in the criminal justice community for over 25 years. And one of our areas was domestic violence, violence against women. And of course, it's actually changed now because the violence, women aren't the only victims, but primarily so. But there are also many, there are dedicated law enforcement units to, for, especially for domestic violence victims. And there's also numerous not-for-profit social service agencies that are available as well. So there are certainly resources and, and that's certainly, this is why I want to, this, why I'm so passionate about this, this topic and, and why I'm so thankful that you're here today. So let's talk about what happened after you left, where there were repercussions and did your fears come to fruition? And as we embellish that, how do people transition from an abusive environment and learn to live beyond the survival mode? Yeah. uh, Learning to live beyond the survival mode is hard. You have to want to put in the work. You have to want to recognize that you're in survival mode. So that's major first step is, oh my gosh, I'm in survival mode. I literally wake up, tend to my kids do what I can to find a job. I have zero emotions. I've put everything in a box safely so that I don't have to deal with it. And then every once in a while, the box pops open and you're breaking down in the shower, in the kitchen, in the closet, in the car, you know, on the deck, wherever. So recognizing that you're in survival mode is so, so, so critical and just vitally important to your healing, right? Like it took me probably seven years after I was free from the abuser to recognize that I had PTSD, probably five years. Yeah, it took me about five years to recognize that I actually had PTSD from the abuse and from the whole situation. And the way to surround yourself, the way, the best way that you can heal is surrounding yourself by people who love you. But that doesn't mean that they understand what you're going through because, Lord willing, they don't understand because it's a horrible, horrible place to be. But they love you enough to love you through the pain, through your emotions, through your breakdowns through the struggles, because really your brain changes when you're in a domestic violence situation. Your neurotransmitters literally change. So you're not going to react to situations the same way you did before you were in your domestic violence situation than you do after your domestic violence situation. So showing yourself grace, showing yourself patience, showing yourself love. And that was a hard one for me, showing myself my love. You know, for myself, that was hard. Those are really, really important and and seek help. And that could be from a coach who's been there or like a life coach who's been there. And you are worth the investment just for the record, because I didn't think I was worth the investment for a very long time, but somebody who's been there and can guide you through it, hold your hand and let you know that you're loved and nurtured and helps you get to that place of forgiving and healing is very, very important. I also think therapy is a great thing for group therapy or individual therapy, but make sure that you find somebody that specializes in domestic violence because not all therapists have that tool in their toolbox and they can really kind of jack things up a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great point. But yeah. <laughs> so I want to touch base on what happened after you left. I mean, what yeah. did he did he persist? I mean, were you know, I'm sure there were fears associated with leaving and did they did they come to fruition? Were you able yep. to? Because you did ask a, that. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. That's a whole other added dimension. That, is, that, that it is. I lived in fear for five years, probably. Yeah, that he was going to come after me, and he did. 
and I got protective orders. Thankfully, every time he attempted to come after me or my children, my family, it was made very clear to me that he was on his way. So it was just like weird, serendipitous, you know, God moments. So he never got too up. He always figured out where we lived. And so I lived with my brother. We lived with my brother for a while, and then we found an apartment. And then he had to know the address for legal reasons, whatever. And I didn't sleep much in that apartment because there was that fear that he was going to like come and get me in the middle of the night. I moved states away. Like I moved 1,500 miles away from the abuser to not make it easy. And yet he still showed up looking through my mailbox and, you know, knocking on the door and, just weird stuff, right? And so that fear is very real and very valid for domestic violence survivors, for sure, that the person's going to show up and you don't know what's what's going to happen. You can get a protective order all day long, but it doesn't stop a bullet and it doesn't stop a fist. Yeah, that, it's such a, it's, there are really no words for that. I can't even comment on it. So, and of course, you're also a parent. You're a single mother sure. and, and sure. you share... Um, you share a child with with uh, your abuser. So fortunately for you, you haven't been forced into a co-parenting model with your abuser. But what advice can you give to those individuals who are forced to deal with those abusers, with their abusers, because they share children with them? Right. First and foremost, make sure that co-parenting is in the best interest of the child. Right. Because if the abuser abused you, then there's a likelihood that your child is also being at least emotionally manipulated for information about you while the child is with the other parent. So fight for that child's safety, mental safety, physical safety, like keep going back to the judge. It's exhausting. It's very, very exhausting to fight for the safety of your child. There are abusers who would never harm their child for some reason there's like the code of conduct that you don't abuse a child, but it's okay to abuse a spouse. I don't understand it, but there is some weird thing about that. But I would also recommend that when the, the trade-off happens, make sure it's at the police station or the fire station. Don't pick McDonald's. Don't pick Burger King. Don't pick Target parking lot. Make sure it's at a police station or a fire station or in front of a courthouse or somewhere very, very public during a very public time so that there can be no interaction and there are like no harmful interaction, right? And there are situations, I have known of situations where the police officer has to be there. And if you, if that's what brings you comfort as much as you can be in comfort, having to face the abuser and the regular scheduled, you know, time schedule, then then have the officers out there. They are there to protect and serve or have, you know, have somebody, a neutral party. I'm not saying he can bring a friend or she can bring a friend because then it's going to be a big blow up and it's going to get ugly potentially. So have a neutral party there always if that's what makes you feel safe. First and foremost, important thing is that you are safe physically and emotionally and mentally when the exchange happens because your children will feel that. And they will feed off of that. And that's pouring all this negative energy into them. And that's not the goal. The goal goal is to help the children live a good, healthy, moral life. 
That's very powerful advice. And and I love that. So let's talk about your practice, which is dedicated to helping others heal after domestic violence. What are your methodologies and how can you help people who find themselves in this position? Well, and one of the things that I definitely advocate is for somebody to be out at least six months. So oftentimes those who have been abused struggle with self-worth, right? That's how you ended up in the abusive situation. So you struggle with self-worth. So you think the only way you can survive is going back to the abuser. That's a lie. Cut it out. This is the tough love moment again, right? You can live without the abuser. You deserve better than the abuser. So I make it a practice that in my business, you have to be out at least six months and you want to do the work of getting healed and forgiving because there are some people, and I'm just going to be very honest with this. There are some people who like standing in their story of being the victim instead of on their story of being the victor, right? So if you're coming to me with victim mentality, it's not going to work because I don't put up with that. That's, I'm just being very honest, (laughs) very open. So But for those of you who want to be the victors of your life, Out of the Quicksand is the name of my business. And I came to it just, I got trained with Jack Canfield in the success principles. And I now utilize the success principles to help you get out of your quicksand. I have a master's degree in education. So teaching is definitely a passion. I am straightforward and honest and will call you out on stuff with absolute love and understanding and acceptance. So there's zero judgment just because I'm open and honest doesn't mean I'm judgy, right? (laughs) Just, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that tough love. So the methodology I use is Jack Canfield success principles, mostly. And then my background information from everything that I've been through, and my education, and I just wrap it up into this beautiful package to help you heal and forgive and live the life that you're called to live, not the life that has been chosen up to that point. Make different choices. You'll have a better life. (laughs) I love that. And I want to segue into, I know that the law of attraction is one of your focuses. How do you incorporate that into your your program and, and teaching methodologies? It's mastering that mindset, right? And the law of attraction is absolutely mastering the mindset of where you're going to be in life and where you are in life. And you just switch the mindset a little bit each day and you manifest things and you bring things into your life that you would have never even dreamt possible. And you can start with simple things like, Hey, I'm going to get the best parking spot when I go to the grocery store and boom, all of a sudden you're attracting the best parking spot when you go to the grocery store and acknowledging those things. So I definitely work on mindset, internal dialogue, and then external actions, because those three together make up a healthier human. I I like that triad. So that's something that I may start utilizing in my own personal toolbox. So do we miss anything, you know, before I let you go? Is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners and, and I tell them where they can find you and more directly and contact you? Out of the quicksand.com and on social, out of the quicksand, just about anywhere. And in the comments, we'll leave my link tree link if that's okay with Joanne. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the link tree will lead you to all of out of the quicksand. And I just, final words, I just would like for those who have overcome the domestic violence to understand and know that I, I get it. I've been there and I understand you not feeling worthy of moving forward in life, but I promise you, you are absolutely worthy and you are worthy 
and your children are way worthy. If you're not going to want to move forward in life for yourself, because I didn't want to do it for your children, because your children need you to change the trajectory of their life. Because if you keep going on the path that you're going on, finding that you're not worthy, one of two things are going to happen. Your child will grow up feeling that they're, is that really what you want for them? Or number two, your child is going to grow up to be the abuser in their relationship. Is that really what you want for them? So it's up to you, even when you don't feel worthy, to understand that you are and to understand that your children are definitely worthy of you healing and forgiving. Very, very powerful closing words. I'm also going to say for those who aren't ready for for you and the ones who aren't out of the six month mark. In addition to your contact information, I am also going to add some links to some other resources for people who may be actively Perfect. actively in a current situation and, and don't know how to get out. So we'll do that as well. So we don't want anybody to feel hopeless because like right. you said, everybody has options. Right. And let me just give a little caveat for that. That doesn't mean that I'm not willing to listen to those who are still in it. I just know where my strengths are. Right. And I'll be happy to listen to you and to hold your hand. But as far as moving out of that quicksand, you have to take that first step to reach your hand up. Great. So thank you so much for being here. It's always thank an honor you, and a privilege. It's, like, it's such an important message and such an important niche and passion. And I thank you for, for doing it and for being a resource to those people who, who really sometimes are voiceless and they need somebody to help them. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me. 